And the one thing that, that really intrigued me was like, I was thinking to myself, wow, all these, all these shows on, on this television, on this box that comes into our living room, so many of them, and not one of them has anybody that looks like me mm. or, or sounds like me or even reminds me of myself. Funny story. And if, if you think it's funny, I'll put it on the podcast. But um, I met Edward James almost uh, at a Comic-Con. Did not expect him to talk to me. I thought it was going to be a quick picture. Thanks. You know, keep going. My voice is breaking and all that. Asking me questions. And the only thing I could say was, hey, welcome back to Too Hard, Too Fast, the podcast with strong opinions about things that we may or may not know too much about in order to broaden perspectives. In today's episodes, Tuesday and Thursday, we have Vic Trevino. If you did some growing up in the 90s, you definitely know who this guy is, and we are <laughs> glad to have him. Oh, man, we're ready Vic for Trevino! <laughs> uh, Vic, thanks ready, for joining us. So, Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course, man. I yeah. sit back, buckle up. Let's go too hard, too fast. Boom. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome to Too Hard, Too Fast. Too Hard, Too Fast. Too Hard, Too Fast. Too Hard, Too Fast. Welcome to Too Hard, Too Fast. All right, for you guys listening out there, you know, uh, for you guys who are just accustomed to just sitting back, kicking back, and watching things on the tube, uh, whether it's a movie, whether it's a comedy or dramedy or whatever, and you see someone who does, uh, you see someone who looks like you on screen, particularly if you have brown skin, you know, raza, cultura, Latino, that sort of thing, you know, and you don't stop to think in terms of like, how did that happen? How did we get here? Well, stick around because I will learn you in terms of how we got there, okay? Woo! The truth about Latinos in Hollywood. Only here, too hard, too fast. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Boom. Boom. The podcast of the century. It's the <laughs> Vic, before we get started with what we want to talk about today, we ask all our guests, what are you drinking? Well... It's a very strange, exotic concoction, guys. I just got All done right. with my writing program, with my writing group right now. Uh, and it's just La Folgers. La <laughs> Nothing Folgers. fancy. That's it. That's it. La Folgers. Uh, On Friday always- night is my, uh, is my writer's night. And so uh, we're throwing around some ideas or content for this web series we're working on. And... Uh, Dude, I get up early in the morning. My day starts at five and I'm usually doing Damn. something, something with cardio or something with exercise. Uh, worm, believe me, this is going to be good for you. All and right, so yeah, uh, I need that. <laughs> no, but then, uh, you know, the downside about that is that usually around like eight o'clock, dude, I start feeling it and I'm kind of like, you know, getting sleepy because I get up so early. But when I knew this was happening, hey, dude, uh, I made an exception. All right. Well, I'm glad you did. Uh, before, actually, I got a little ahead of myself. I wanted to know what you were drinking because, you know, this is what we do. But I should say, as you're saying, writers, uh, I guess you're a writer as well now. I didn't know that. But I know you're an actor, a professor, a workout enthusiast. I mean, you got those guns showing. We might, we might have to ask for a permit. We might, we might ask for you to take off your shirt later on, too. <laughs> you you and Worm might have to do a little yeah, something. I tried taking off my shirt, and uh, now YouTube ba- almost banned us. So. 
<laughs> he was showing too much nip. Oh, yeah. Uh, so those are a few of your accolades, and I guess you can give us more of what you've done um, as we go on. But writing, what, um, like what are you, you said you're writing for a web, web series. How hard is that? Yeah. Like, or, uh, how hard is it? Is that what you said? It sounds hard. Like to um, me, I hey, you knew me from college. Yeah. I hated to write papers and stories and speech. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think writing can be hard uh, if you're writing about content or material that's not personal. That's not personally. Uh, if you don't have a personal investment in something that you're writing about, it becomes more of a chore. Than, than a passion. And I think that's, 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 that's where the secret lies, I think, you know. Um, there are so many stories yet to be told about, about our culture, about the Latino experience. Uh, I know we'll get into more of this later, but uh, working in the early 80s as a Latino actor, as a professional Latino actor in Hollywood, it was, Dude, it was just mind boggling. There's been so many changes and a lot of the hard work that we created and we started back in the 80s paved the way for young performers who are now on the big screen and the small screen uh, to, to be who they are as artists, uh, you know, and they can celebrate their skin color and heritage. But uh, and I know we'll talk about this later on, but uh, we, we paved the way for a lot of these artists. For example, there are times when I'm sitting back and I'm just like watching some stuff on the uh, on uh, some new shows that are coming out, you know, on the tube or or in film, and I'm like, wow, that never would have happened in 1985. That never would have happened, wow. you know, by virtue of the fact that hey, I have brown skin, uh, I have a Spanish surname, I'm Latino, you know, and and agents and managers trying to persuade you to change your last name because it is too ethnic, you know? And I'm like, well, no, dude, that that's my name, Trevino. You know, hey, what is that? I'm like, dude, that's my name. Don't mess with the sauce. <laughs> what is that? Like, <laughs> hey, me too, after I tell people, hey, my name's Joaquin. Joaquin? I just told you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, man, exactly. No. Uh, yeah, but no, I, I don't think that writing is necessarily hard or difficult as long as you're passionate about it. And I'm, I'm uh, working as a, as a teacher with young people right now. And one of the things that I really hope to foster within them uh, is a passion and an interest in storytelling. Uh, not necessarily my stories. Uh, I'm trying to give, I'm trying to validate them so that they can understand, hey, you know what? Uh, I don't care. I don't care where you're from or what color your skin is. Uh, you have you have something valid worth listening to, you know, by virtue of the fact that that you're human and you have a pulse. Uh, thus, you have something to say, something that's worth listening to. Uh, and a lot of our our young people, our young kids, you know, um, they're very. Dude, I've taught like all, all age groups. Uh, if you would have told me 10 years ago that one day I would be teaching kindergarten, I would say, guys, uh, you know, what's in your drink? You've had too much of it. Stop already. <laughs> no. Oh, so do I need to stop then? Or, or, uh... <laughs> just follow along, Worm. Just follow along. Uh, follow along. <laughs> <laughs> so like, uh, no, but you know, e e even the, the, the littlest kids, you know, when you, 
you, uh, when you introduce characters to them, you know, and a lot of the stuff, a lot of this stuff doesn't even exist at a public library. So what do I do? I make it up. I make up little characters for these little ch uh, chavalos, you know, in, in terms of like things that talk about, things that talk about self-identity, things that talk about, you know, things that matter to them, you know, things that are worth saying. Uh, there's so many stories yet to be told, you know. One of the challenges that I, I think writers have sometimes, uh, we can talk about this later, I'm sure, but in the 80s, you know, we, we had, if you look at sitcoms that are still running, that were produced in the 80s and 90s, look at the credits, look at the last names uh, of the people who were sitting behind those, those, those desks in those executive offices, you know, um, very few, if any of them were Latino surnamed because you had writers and producers and directors who were not of the culture, but were creating content for the culture to raise numbers and to raise uh, revenue, you know, and it wasn't until things started changing. Uh, Anyhow, that's my long-winded version of that of that question, Jorge. Okay. No, I did uh, I did jump the gun a little bit. Um, I just wanted to get into the conversation, but uh, one thing I skipped over is that you know we talk about our drinks. Uh, so going back to your Folgers, before I know we, there's so much to talk about with your career, but your Folgers, if you were to compare. Folgers, is that usually what you go for? Like if you're drinking uh, coffee, there's another coffee I, like you. Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's what I it's what I had in the house right now. But when it comes to coffee, dude, I'm like a, and I was never like this, guys. I was I was never really a coffee drinker. Uh, when I was working as a professor, you know, and things were getting a little crazy and stuff like that and everything, you know, uh, with with workload and uh, and I never really complained about what I did because you know. Uh, for those who know me, when when I was at the lake at Olu, dude, I lived there because I, I was there early morning. I was there late night, uh, uh, producing shows, writing shows, uh, you know, directing, working out. Like <laughs> and working out. I was at the UAC, and for those of you who are listening, yeah. don't know uh, the UAC was like our our gym on, on on campus, and I lived there. You know, I really lived there, but uh, I started drinking coffee because it was like it was the only way of just like keeping up, so to speak. And so uh, then I started discovering, you know, hey, there's different kinds of coffees and stuff like that. I always thought that coffee was like for viejitos, you know, and I thought, <laughs> no, nah, my, my dad drinks coffee, you know, uh, I drink cerveza. And now you add some Kahlua <laughs> to your coffee, right? You have Kahlua in there? Yes. Right? Oh, my God. That's where I was going with this worm. Oh, my bad, my bad, bro. <laughs> I jumped the gun too. <laughs> I learned that from George. I'm sorry. Oh, for sure, man. For sure. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, no, nah, I like coffee that's strong, coffee that gets me going. Otherwise, paque. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, uh, yeah, Colombian, Colombia. That, that, that's a big go. Yeah. Columbia. So this is the first. We've never had somebody, what we do on Too Hard Too Fast is we rate our drinks from 1.0 to 2. Because you know, too hard, too fast. The number two is the best. Um, so, point no, using the decimals, what would you rate your Folgers coffee right now? Right now, uh, I give it like a maybe a one point three. 
okay. It's okay. It's not like it's not like anything to write home about. Oh, you hit it like right on the head because a one point three for us, it's like you drink it if you got it. That's what it means. <laughs> like, if you, like you know, if back in the day when you were in college or you know hanging out for a party, you know, if all they have is like cheap Bud Light or you know even worse, hey. Miller uh, or what is it called, Natty Light, and that's all they <laughs> yeah. have. They're at the party. It's like, well, that's all we got. Drink it if you got it. One point three. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Yeah, for so sure. I think Worm is getting a little excited. Worm, what do you got? Right here. This is for Trevino right here, man. <laughs> think it's right there. Oh, dude. Stop teasing me like oh, that. Hey, hey, let me give you some. Let me give you some right here. Dang. That's awesome, dude. Uh, is it? I don't know. <laughs> some people say I have oh, a wow. problem. <laughs> what, are you, what are you drinking, Worm? I got Worm? you, man. What's up, Trevino? What are you drinking, Worm? Yeah, what do you got? Uh, hey, so this is also for uh, Trevino right here. It's uh, Hecho in Mexico. And I want you to talk about it if uh, you know anything about Los Indios, bro. Oh, wow. That looks awesome, man. Talk to me about that. Yeah, oh, shoot. All, all I know is that it tastes great. That's all I know. Hecho <laughs> 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 in uh, Mexico. I'm an Indio. Well, I'm a conquistador, but it, it's all good. <laughs> Hey, uh, very quick, uh, Mr. Trevino. So I want to I want to drink some beer, right? But you know, with uh, COVID, it, um, I think they created a digital one. So, uh, am I safe to take off my mask? You're 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 healthy, right? I'm gonna say I'm okay. I'm gonna say I'm All okay. Right. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I hope I don't. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, we should correct Worm because I feel like he keeps saying Trevino. It, it there's an Anya Worm. Come on. Come I on, take, thank you. I didn't take Spanish when I was uh, in uh, in El Paso. I know you guys. <laughs> they, they, they forced me to speak English. <laughs> well, <laughs> let, let's let the people know in El Paso that you know there's a real, there's a correct way of speaking Spanish, and then there's an El Paso way. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> or the right way, which is the wrong way. Have you done a rating for the for El Indio beer? Yeah, before? I did actually. Uh, but so I'll tell the people again a one point seven seven. Wow. Okay. Okay. That is high. That is man, high. Great, man. That means if they don't sell I it, I support at my my. Uh, I gotta support my people. I love the design. It tastes great. I think it's a great price. So. That's it's awesome. a good score. One point seven seven means if they don't sell it at your gas station, gas station, they don't sell it at your HEB. You know, you're gonna drive okay. to that fancy store that has it, and you're gonna buy it. So yeah. you're gonna go the extra mile for it. Might go the extra mile. All right. So that's right. That's right. I have this IPA from uh, since uh, Mason, Ohio. So the reason I have this, wow. uh, Mr. Uh, I was going to say Mr. Trevino, oh, went back to that college life. <laughs> the reason I have this is the we had a guest last week. He played. He plays for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I was told that he was sponsored by this beer. And it got shipped to me so we can review it while we were doing the podcast with him. 
Well, um, I arrived a day late and a dollar short. Um, so I brought it on for you so you can taste it on your episodes. Awesome. IPA is usually my awesome. favorite. So I'm glad we have that. And just because he's a guest, I'm not going to go easy on him. But Sonder Brewing Record Hop IPA. I didn't buy it, so I, there's no price point. I have no idea what it costs. The label is a little like I did this on Microsoft Word or Paint. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I gotta be. Or just saying he could do better. That's what he's saying. Fucking crap. <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah. And then better. he wonders why some beer companies get mad and they say too, too, too hard too fast. Hey, I gotta like, be real. Oh, you know what? Honestly, if I could do be, if I could do better, I would be doing better. But I'm not doing it, so <laughs> they're clearly doing better. Awesome. All right. So a one point. 1.68. It's really good. It's uh, tasty. It's uh, a 6.8% alcohol, so it's high. It's a too hard to fast beer. A 1.68. Good cool. stuff. So let's go too hard to fast. Let's get back into the conversation, Wormsers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, first, I want to know um, what um, what do you usually drink? Though, so what, what do you like to? What's your favorite drink? Uh, I like this beer called Albida. Mm. Uh, I like it because uh, I really like beer, but because, you know, I'm running and I'm doing uh, a lot of like fitness oriented uh, activities, you know, just trying to stay in shape, you know, if I can during this whole crazy time. Uh, so I don't always have the opportunity to like eat right and stuff like that and everything. So in an effort to just kind of like help control those carbs, you know, because I really do like beer. I really do. And Albita is really low in carbs. So I really mm -hmm. like drinking that. Now, if it's earlier in the day, uh, I'll, I'll like, I mean, I'll try just about anything, just about anything. Because I really do oh, like We should have started recording at one then. And I prefer beer, actually. That, that's my drink of choice. But it's like, you know, uh, yeah, that's what I like. Avita's a good beer. I like I like their their stuff. I think yeah. it's Lou from Louisiana. I, if I'm not, if I'm, I believe you're right. Nice. All right, so let's get back into it. Um, how did I mentioned you were an actor? How did you get into that into that life? Like, what led you to? Oh, actually, where did you grow up? Where, yeah, where, where were you born and raised? <laughs> I was born in Los Angeles, uh, in East LA, Los Angeles. Uh, stayed there for a while. Uh, my parents moved to San Antonio uh, when I was about, I don't know, 10 or so. Uh, several, and then grew up on the south side. Grew up on the south side of San Antonio and then being born and raised in East LA. Dudes, when you put both of those combinations together, I mean, you know, it's like, the, what's that old saying? You can take the, you can move the, the, the boy out of the south side or the west side, but you cannot pull the west side or the south side out of the boy it's always there you know uh grew up you know grew up south with south side mentality and it's like you do with what you do what you do with what you have that sort of thing um you know years later my, my folks divorced eventually and then i ended up spending a lot of time in la later on joined the military uh and i loved it i was in the air force uh for four years and then uh i um uh, i stayed in la uh 
to to attend uh, uh, college, and I was really really interested in um, in film and television. So I had heard that the best school to go to to study for that stuff was at USC, the University of Southern California. Well, dudes, that is a private. That's a private university, and like very few people go there. And if you're brown, menos. <laughs> Even fewer brown people go there. So uh, I was like, nah, dude, that's a long shot. And everyone said, you're crazy. Why, why waste your time on, because, you know, there's an application fee and blah, blah, you know, it was like $100. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. And everyone was like, there's no way. And it's expensive. Yada, 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 yada. If I listen to all the people who told me that I couldn't do something or all the people who told me there's no way, or all the people that said no, you know, mm. God, nothing would have happened. You know, nothing would have yeah. happened. That's what they so, told me uh, about Olu. I, yeah, I, know, I know what you mean. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, one of the, th uh, I applied for all kinds of scholarships and dude, in those days, it wasn't like you could press a button on the internet to look for scholarships or submit a scholarship. Uh, this is like writing stuff by hand. Man, that's old on a school. stone tablet with a chalk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was just like about, <laughs> this was about creating a story, you know, and turning it into a script. I knew nothing about that. I knew absolutely nothing about that, but I did it anyway. And it was very crude. Uh, I wrote it in, in a prose kind of format, prose, P-R-O-S-E, as in like a story format, and then turned that into a script format. So I wrote this, I wrote this, this script uh, about this, this typical Latino family uh, and really uh, I don't think I've ever shared this with anybody. It was really about my mother and my father, you know, and how me and my brother and sister interplayed within all of that. Uh, actually, I don't think I've ever shared this. And so it was loosely based on that. And then uh, it's a good thing my mother doesn't know. She, would, I, I, could, I can imagine the, the, the language she would use. I God, I don't, whatever. So anyway, so I was- Don't hold uh, back, tell us. It's okay. None of our mothers listen to this podcast either. So yeah, I don't. <laughs> they would be they would be saying the same thing. Mañoso, I can hear already. Exactly. We're doing something. Mom, we're doing something good. Like. I can you already? Dame la chancla. Dame la chancla. <laughs> like, no. Dame la chancla so I can hit you with it. <laughs> yeah. They won't even get up. They don't even yeah. get up. It's like bring it to me so that I can toss it at your at your ass. <laughs> yeah, right. Bring bring the weapon to me and I got you. Like, okay, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh man. That's right. I'm bu I'm busy with my Miller Light now right now. Bring it to me. Okay, all right, not a problem. Anyway. So I did. I wrote this. I wrote this screen uh, script. Didn't hear anything from the university for about six months. At the time, I was doing uh, I was doing odd jobs. I was working great uh, graveyard uh, at this. Uh, it's not even in existence anymore. It was called Thrifty Drugstore in Los Angeles. They had a chain of them. Uh, and the, the the graveyard shift, I would assemble and disassemble uh, racks uh, for the new stores. And during the day at eight o'clock. I'd start my rounds with my headshots and my resumes and going down to like uh, the different offices, uh, talent agencies and dropping off like 
trying to meet people, just trying to hustle, trying to drop off resumes and stuff like this and everything. I'm telling you guys, uh, the, uh, the, the internet did not exist. You didn't press a button and click and, and, and press send. Uh, That's no, sad, the, man. No, that was you, wrong with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, How did you guys interact? I know. How would you text message someone? But uh, I, no. But dude, I, I met a lot of interesting people this way, drug addicts and no, I know you. Hey, some of them are really interesting as well. Hey. So, you know, I, I submitted this the screenplay and mind you, I had never written a screenplay in my life. Uh, this was all self-taught. I was just like, you know, I was talking to friends of mine who were already working, you know, as writers uh, in, in LA. But, you know, this was during the early nineties when opportunities for people of color were, were very slim, even writers. So uh, applying to film school, especially at like, you know, a prestigious university like that. Yeah. Th that probably was a long shot, but I, I didn't want to, I don't want to go through life thinking with anything I do. Oh. We're thinking, you know, I wish I would have, could have, whatever, that sort of thing, you know, no, I don't want to do that. So anyway, um, Six months after I submitted that thing, I, I got an application from uh, the film department and it's extremely competitive. And so then uh, I was invited for an interview and I got in and then uh, I hustled to, uh, and I just worked my butt off just trying to get a scholarships. And as I was saying earlier, you know, this wasn't about pushing a button and connecting to the Internet. This was about. Uh, you know, fielding calls to people who had done this before, uh, going out to, you know, uh, local agencies that supported Latino artists uh, in, in Los Angeles. And thankfully, at that time in Los Angeles, th there was a lot of organizations that supported us. And one of the biggest ones was the Nosotros uh, organization, you know, Nosotros, Spanish for us, you know, um, which was founded by, I know a lot of our listeners probably are not familiar with this name, Ricardo Montalban, uh, who was this pioneer in, in establishing uh, working relationships, particularly for Latino artists, including writers, performers, directors, things of that sort. Now, Mr. Montalban had a long prestigious career uh, as an actor, he was from Mexico, and uh, if you look him up, I mean, he has a resume the size of, you know, like whatever, but uh, he paved the way and created this organization called Nosotros uh, to help create opportunities for artists of color. So I had approached them about, you know, just guidance and things of that sort. And they were very instrumental. I met up with some really cool people and fellow artists, um, got into the college? program. What's that? This is while you're in school? While you were a student? Uh, uh, yes, yes. So uh, I got into film school and then I started doing stuff behind camera. And then I started doing things uh, in front of camera as well too. And I thought, uh, I was like, just talking to myself. This Vato's always talking to himself. And I'm like, uh, I have conversations with myself and most of the time they're really good. I sang really good. <laughs> <laughs> Depending upon the beverage of my choice, especially when it's a two. So I was like, uh, <laughs> I was like, hey, I'm already here at, at, at USC, you know, so that I started, uh, I started applying for, um, 
uh, advanced learning opportunities in performance because, you know, deep down, I knew I always wanted to be a performer. I, I knew I was an artist. I knew I was a storyteller. And uh, although USC had the number one film school in the country at the time, uh, U- UCLA had one of the top acting conservatories uh, programs in, in the country in their MFA program. I also knew that it was extremely competitive. Uh, I applied to UCLA. Uh, and when I, the year I applied, I knew I was told in the letter that there was like 600 plus applicants and only 10 would be chosen for the MFA program. And I thought, let's do it. Let's do it. So uh, I, I created like this, this, this monologue, this audition monologue, right? And it was like very dramatic and things of that sort. And I thought, okay, okay, I think I got this. I think I got this. So I'm doing this monologue, right? I'm doing this monologue and it's very dramatic. And at, at my third callback for this audition to get into UCLA, uh, there was, uh, it was down to like maybe 20 from that 600 because uh, what I didn't say was there, there was several interviews before that. So at this point, you know, there's just a couple of us left and the director of the program looks at me and he says, Mr. Trevino, <laughs> that was very dramatic. <laughs> I would like to see you do the same thing, Mr. Trevino, but only this time do it as a comedy. And for a, for a millisecond, I froze. I was like, oh, my God. Equally, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? <laughs> you know, and I used to think about, I used to think how my mom could take something so serious and just make it funny to me. She didn't, she didn't think it was funny. She was like serious as crap, you know, but it's the way she said things that immediately I turned into my mom in this audition space. Right. And I did it. I did it. Uh, I got in. And so I ended up, I ended up with the pedigree from USC and UCLA. I'm getting my undergrad at USC and my master's, my MFA from UCLA. And it was always kind of weird when we had football games because, you know, they're rivals. And it was always really challenging. Like, which side of the bleachers do I sit on? I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Bedger, beverage of choice will determine. So, <laughs> so who do you like better? <laughs> I know, right? Let's not even get to the football. It's yeah. like, <laughs> I'm leaning towards UCLA because there were more people like me there, you know? Okay, and okay. I, I'm not knocking USC, but it's like, you know, guys, I was going to school with, with kids who had like Mercedes Benz and had these fancy cars and lived in these fancy apartments all around, you know? And I was like, dude, I was like, Beverly Hills, dude, I was in Inglewood, (laughs) you know? And that was, that was my hood. It was like, and I totally felt comfortable there, you know? So, uh, but I've never shunned away from who I am or where I come from. It's, it's who I am and I'm proud of it. So, so at yeah. USC, were, were you the only minority or only Latino? At USC? Yeah. Yeah. There, at that time, there were not a lot of Latino uh, uh, students uh, in my program uh, at, at USC. No, not at that time that at that time you know you, you really had to work to get in it was very competitive and i think that's another thing too worm it's like you know uh in those days you know to get into any kind of like a program like that you had to work your butt off you know you don't go there was no google <laughs> there was nothing to kind of like shortcut your way through you know you had to be really inventive you had to be really creative you know how are you going to tell this story how are you going to make it engaging for the audience things of that sort you know 
there weren't as many resources as there are as there is now you know so um, yeah i was gonna say why didn't you just youtube it and you <laughs> something that helped you <laughs> we should just youtube it because yeah, yeah, there wasn't DJ youtube <laughs> so like, one, uh, one thing i wanted to ask is that kind of going back to my experience growing up as a hispanic or latino or anything like that from the culture what made you feel like that you wanted to be a performer because obviously at least from my experience you know you tell somebody your mom your dad your friend like hey i want to i think i want to be an actor or i want to be in radio i i might be want to be a musician anything like that it's like chale vato for real what do you what do you think you are man so like what made you feel like oh i think i i, I can do this Or I want to well, try at least. You know, uh, I was always surrounded by colorful characters growing up. You know, and by colorful, I mean, you know, like uh, people who don't think that they're really, they're not trying to be funny. They're not trying to be, you know, quote unquote, colorful, but they are. And in my mind, in my little boy mind, you know, when I was a kid, you know, uh, I was just fascinated with stories. And I thought, I just grew up really believing that more than anything else, a person's story can really be like what really truly defines a person in terms of who they are, where they're coming from, things like that. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I remember uh, always drawing. And, and I thought for sure I was going to be like an, a graphic artist or something like that. And then uh, I really got involved with the idea. Okay, so I used to watch television as a kid, right? And the one thing that, that really intrigued me was like, I was thinking to myself, wow, all these all these shows on on this television on this box that comes into our living room so many of them and not one of them has anybody that looks like me mm. or or sounds like me or even reminds me of myself i remember watching this old sitcom called the brady bunch right and i was like wow that was really really cool you know uh and i also also thought that marsha was kind of cute and Ask i was like i was like wow <laughs> my nose so and i was like uh, <laughs> and i was like okay you know i like the premise and it's a great idea you know uh but there were very few shows that featured latino talent um and then fast forward a couple of years um you know uh or rewind a couple of years back you know there was a show called chico and the man and i was really excited to check out Chico and the Man. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with that, just Google it, Chico and the Man. And you're going to see, you know, this, this young and up and coming uh, actors slash comic, Freddie Prinze, who I was like, oh my God, he's brown. <laughs> he is brown. <laughs> you know, and, and I was glued to the tube. I mean, the series was okay. It was all right. But what really fascinated me about this whole storyline was the fact that They cast someone with brown skin in this. It is oh. possible, you know? And I was, exactly, you know? <laughs> Puro Indio. So, oh, yeah. Exactly. Puro Indio. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, and I never let the idea of I can't do it enter my mind. You know, I, 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 couldn't, I, I wanted to believe that, you know? And that's what kept me going uh, until, you know, when I was, when I started, when I started, in the 80s and 90s in, in LA, 
dudes, it was a different landscape. It really, really was. You know, we had a lot of like, hmm, how should I say this? You know, like, let's just be honest. Most of the people that were producing, casting and directing, you know, were like non-Latino. Uh, there were no people of color. There just was no people of color doing that. And you had a lot of people who were, you know, uh, you had a lot of white people who were writing shows for brown people, you know. Uh, and although I appreciated the fact that, hey, you know, they're trying to they're trying to include us. Uh, they're trying to give us a voice. Uh, but every time a project like that came up, every time a pilot like that came up, more often than not, it didn't go very far. Why? Because it takes someone who 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 is Latino to write of the Latino experience. Yeah, in right. my opinion, you know, it's don't, like you, don't tell my story for me. Let me try. exactly. It's like you you can't make this up. You can't make this up. You know, I remember uh, my mom would see some things like that. I go, no, but I shut up. Come to the channel. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it is. <laughs> hey, so growing up, so growing up watching TV and stuff. What did you guys have back in the day? Netflix, Hulu. YouTube TV. Oh yeah, we're yeah, hey, like we all had that. all of that. <laughs> <laughs> nah, dude. I think we had because you know we didn't have cable. Uh, I didn't know that we were poverty, so we didn't have cable. I don't we mean like, either, uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> we had three channels, man. Three channels, and it's uh, and maybe that's why. Says and fourteen. Yeah, exactly. I just start creating, you know, stuff for myself. Uh, because hey, if it's not there, I'll invent it. I'll make it. M make this stuff I'll, up. Uh, I was trying to think of like what show I watched. Like the first show I watched, where I was like, "Oh, dang, somebody that looks like me." And uh, I can't think of one, even in my age, that I can remember. Like I remember, I could think Prince. of the what? I I remember Freddie Prince, but I was already I was still too young for that. So um, yeah, I only knew him later on. Um, and on my end, like uh, I grew up in a border town, so I grew up. I did a lot of growing up in Mexico itself, so I knew like El Chavo del Ocho and uh, shows like that. Those those were like shows that I really grabbed onto because I all oh, these characters not only look like me, they speak like me too. They speak Spanish, so that was my. Exactly. Um, you know, obviously, I was a big fan of Saved by the Bell. Oh, that's what. Yeah. Uh, AC Slater, that was the first oh. person. Mario Lopez, I was like, that's right. that guy that's right. looks like me, and he's cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, that's the show that yeah. I. That, and obviously Zach Morris. I think he looks more like me, but. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what it was. Once Mario Lopez came on on the show, I was like, oh man, somebody that looks like me. Yeah, well, he's yeah. my second. Now he's like my third cousin and stuff. <laughs> So is George Lopez, <laughs> and so is Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> what about you, Worm? What did you that was? No, um, well, shoot. I mean, I just watched, yeah, I mean, same thing. When I was with my grandma, I just watched a lot of Spanish shows. But, I mean, I guess I never thought of it that way. I mean, I was, um, cartoons. And then the thing I just remember was, oh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So that's cool. But then I was, well, how come there's not, like, a Hispanic, like, Mexican exactly. thing of this? And then the only thing I could remember later on is like uh, I guess George Lopez created his own show, and that's really the yeah. so. Well, see, yeah. and that he created a show based on what uh, Vic was just talking about—the fact that like 
you know, other people, other cultures are trying to tell the story for our culture. And what George Lopez did is he just told his story, our story. And that's why it caught on because like, yeah, yeah. yeah all everything he's saying is what everybody lived through. Like right now, earlier we were talking about La Chancla. You grew up right. with La Chancla as discipline. I grew up with La Chancla as discipline. Uh, Worm, well, I don't know what he grew up with. but With, with the belt, bro. <laughs> they hit me with the belt. La Faja. <laughs> El Cinto Mojado. Always snapping and stuff. Hit me La Faja. I got it harder than you guys. <laughs> hey, but Mr. also, I don't think we can go any further without mentioning uh, – the huge movie you were in, uh, Victor Vigna. And these coming of age, I think coming of age movies for Latinos. Like, obviously, you know, we didn't grow up with, uh, or at least I didn't. I grew up in, in, in a barrio, or I grew up in Mexico, and I knew the deal, the streets. Right. But I didn't grow up as the story being told in American Me, which you were uh, one of the, of the main characters uh, in the movie. From director Edward James Olmos, American Me. And there was another movie that Worm is a big fan of, um, Blood In, Blood Out. So hey, those two. Hey, oh, bro, you ruined it, bro. I was going to say, oh. hey, I know you're too humble to admit this, but I found something that uh, it tells your story, your life right here. Hollywood presents right here. Based in L.A., that, that's your story, right? It's about your life. <laughs> Well, sort of, sort of. <laughs> so I think okay, maybe not coming. I have maybe the poster. <laughs> I, my cousin just randomly uh, found it. I'm like, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, that movie and American Me, it was like a rite of passage. Like, if 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 you weren't, if you had not watched that movie and you somehow made it into college. Were you even Mexican? Were you even Hispanic? Like, what is wrong with you? How do you even know that? How did you even get here? <laughs> so, exactly. So I want to talk to you about that. Uh, like, you were in college. You were making, you were hustling. You were working your ass off. What led up to the events of getting or being booked on, on a, a big time movie like that? Well, a series of events happened that eventually led up to that because it, that didn't happen like right away. Uh, you know, I had been, I've been hustling, like you said, you know, for, for a long time uh, prior to that uh, and trying to, uh, trying to create like a, like, 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 like a, a foundation of work that producers and directors, because everyone is scared in LA. Everyone is scared in Hollywood. It's all about like, you know, oh my God, well, they always look at the last thing you did, which really used to annoy me. I'm like, you know, or they're like, well, he's not a big enough name or there was always something, you know, it's like uh, uh, no one knows that name or it's hard to classify who he is. Everything from like, uh, hey, would you consider changing your last name? Uh, no, that's my name. Okay. Uh, would you consider changing your attitude? Uh, you know, it's always <laughs> about like, uh, it was always Hell about, no. <laughs> it was always about like, you know, trying to change, you know, my identity in one way or another, you know, and I started saying, I started thinking, okay, the only real way, and this is something I learned in the Sotos, um, for me to create uh, something for myself is for me to create it myself. 
instead of having other people create it for me. Um, I started, in order to generate income as an actor in LA, uh, what most people do is they, they go to, you know, if, if you can work commercially, you do that because commercials pay the bills uh, and really well, actually, if you can lead a couple of lead commercials and stuff and thank God, knock on wood, I was able to do that, you know, consistently for a while, you know, and I played all kinds of characters in commercials, like all kinds. And most of them were in Spanish. Almost everything I did in commercials were in Spanish. And I always knew when I had residuals coming because my mom, who has always been addicted to telenovelas, told me, oh, te vi de anoche en el Miller Beer, o te vi de anoche en el Mobile, te vi de anoche. You know, oh, thanks, mom. She became like my, like my, like my surrogate manager. And so, you know, and she wanted a cut, but I wouldn't go for it. So it was like always about, um, it was always about just, you know, just uh, trying to make ends meet. So eventually, uh, you know, the, the thing about, about getting into like, uh, you know, like mainstream feature films is about uh, knowing people uh, and having a pedigree of, of, of work that, that speaks for you. Uh, and that's what, I, that's what I started out doing. When, when I was at film school, the contacts I made in, in film school, I kept throughout and I still have those contacts. You know, it's like, hey, I need this, I need that. Can you help me with this, bro? Uh, or I, can you voice this, 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 this commercial for me? Or can you voice this animation for me? And we do that. Uh, I think one of the strongest things to come out of uh, film school was, was the contacts that we created because we're still a tight group, even now, you know, uh, and all of us are in different parts of the country. Some of us are in different parts of the world. Uh, when I was working in the Philippines or in Australia, uh, in different countries around the world, it was like, I could still rely on my resources for like, hey, hey, bro, I need help with this. Or can you help me with that? And, you know, and, and, and I think that's one thing about the Latino culture is that we're there for one another. We're there to help support and help each other grow. It's not, it's not, it's not really about, you know, like, uh, you know, I, this is just for me, just for me, you know, uh, although I have a Theo that's like that, but anyway, that's an entirely different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all have that one Theo. Yeah, well, <laughs> we all have that one Theo. <laughs> so, and if, uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, you're the one. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, Jorge. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And if you're listening right now, don't get me started. <laughs> so by the time, um, by the time uh, American Me came through, I had already like, I had a little bit of a name like that big. Okay. I was already doing Pee Wee's Playhouse and blah, blah, blah. And then my, my agent at the time who was, who was. You rushing, did, you were doing Pee Wee before. Yeah. American? Before, before oh, okay. American Me. I yeah. thought it was reversed. Yeah. But it, it helped open some doors. It helped open some doors. So, uh, but before all this, and a lot of people don't even know this because a lot of the stuff went straight to video back in the days when Blockbuster was still around. Um, <laughs> babies. But it was like, <laughs> it was like, I did all these B-movies, guys. And for those of you who don't know, those of you who are listening, you know, a B-movie is, it's not a movie that you're going to go see like, uh, like at the movies. A B-movie is something that goes straight to video, all right? Uh, and why do actors do B-movies? Uh, to pay their pinche rent. Let's just be honest, okay? <laughs> and so I did a, a, a ton of those. Uh, so by the time 
American Me came out, I'd already done so many different kinds of like gang related movies. And most of them were like, oh man, forget it. You know, the storyline always bothered me that it's like, no, that's not how we talk. That's not how we act, things of that sort. So when my agent calls me and says, hey, there's this project, it's called American Me. Uh, Eddie almost would like you to, uh, Eddie almost uh, is, you know, the, the star of that and uh, just a all around great human being and fellow artist. And he's like, um, he'd like to talk to you about one of the roles. And I was like, uh, at the time my, my agent was Chris and I was like, dude, I'm like, no. And I hadn't even read the script or anything. I said, I, I'm really not interested. I said, how many, how many gang members have I played already? I said, Chris, I have worn every color bandana that you could possibly think <laughs> of already, all right? I'm done, I'm done. He goes, no, no, no. He goes, at least read it, at least read it. And so then I had the script and it was, it was in my living room table, you know, for, for a while. And then uh, he calls me, goes, did you read it? I'm like, no, no, I haven't read it yet. He goes, read it now because he wants to see you tomorrow. Damn. And so I read it and I thought, wow, it was very gritty. It was very, very gritty. And then of course the kitchen scene, you know, where the event happens you know, to that one oh, guy. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my God. I was, and my first thought was like, is that my character? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> So eventually, uh, eventually, uh, I had a discussion with uh, with Mr. Olmos, and he was very frank as he always is. And he's like, "Because I, I understand your concern about being involved in yet another uh, gang drama that just you know stereotypes who we are as a people." He goes, "This project is not about that." He goes, "This project is about uh, creating a story that is real, honest." He says, and I'm, a, I'm not looking to sugarcoat anything. He goes, this is going to be like up in your face reality in terms of, in terms of what life is like, uh, you know, if you choose this lifestyle. And you really wanted to make a statement, you know, particularly with our Latino youth, um, the gang problem in L.A. at that time was huge. And to some extent, it still is. And not only L.A., I think in many large metropolitan cities across the country. Yeah, definitely. So um, I agreed. I agreed to do it, uh, you know, for reasons other than I had done other projects because I, I believe in the project and I also believed in him. And I, I think if it was someone else directing, I'm not really sure I would have felt that way. And one reason that I felt that way is because he fought for the performers. Uh, this, was, this was produced by Universal Studios. And I remember at the time he said, uh, we are going to have 10 days of rehearsal in Sacramento at Folsom State Prison on the actual prison yard. All of the prison scenes take place in the actual prison. But Folsom belonged to us, the oldest clique. And there are many inmates that are real, you know, they're not actors. And <laughs> there were, there were a lot of mishaps. <laughs> there were some things that happened that we had not planned for and that we were, we were like, okay, we can't do that again. Uh, things of that sort. He, he, we eventually did get the 10 days of rehearsal and, and we were so grateful because there's no way that we could have on, on our first day of filming been able to authenticate you know, our actions, our reactions in terms of our characters uh, in the manner in which we did without those 10 days of just being in that environment, walking through it and actually hanging around uh, with these low level 
uh, trustee slash prisoners, you know, uh, and many of them, all of them. And we, we had an opportunity, I had an opportunity to talk to some of these individuals, these human beings. And it's, you know, life happens and they all have stories and they didn't choose that lifestyle. Some of them were, according to them, victims of circumstance. Others made poor choices. Others, you know, it just, um, you really walk away from all that thinking, who the hell am I to judge? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm nobody, you know, and th th they're human beings. Almost right, all of them. We had a guest uh, early on in the podcast that said, uh, we're only two degrees or two decisions from ending up, you know, in a, in a bad situation where we can't come out of or something like that. And I, I'm, I'm probably misquoting it, but as I guess, it was kind of basically, it could happen to anybody. No, I, I totally agree with that. And I totally agree with that, with that commentary as well, too. You know, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very kind of like, uh, uh, I, I've never felt that way, you know, like, for example, you know, I, I was, I was hanging around with two guys, two inmates. Uh, I was spending some time and just trying to get into, into their heads and understand where they were coming from and stuff like that. And they were very free. They were very giving with sharing their histories. And uh, some of it was really painful to, to listen to, you know, but uh, you know, they all had something in common. All of them had a dream. And for whatever reason, those dreams were shattered for one reason or another. All of them made choices that, that they regret. And all of them still had dreams of one day getting out and pursuing life in the manner in which they were accustomed to, you know, uh, after having kind of like learned the hard way. I told these guys, I said, uh, hey, it was good getting to know you guys, you know, uh, good luck when you guys get out. And I remember there was this pause and one of them looks at me, he says, well, dude, we're, we're not getting out, you know? And he explained to me, you know, that, you know, they, they, did this, yeah, they did this terrible thing over a VCR. It's like, uh, yeah, I was like, wow, wow. But you know what? Even after hearing that, I'm like, you know, uh, they're in a situation, they made some choices. Who am I to say that I would have done anything different? I don't know. I, and I, it's, it's not my place to judge. So anyway, uh, and I know, just want to say it too, Worm. A VCR, you, we used to play video. <laughs> oh, Worm is going. Where am I right now? Worm is going, a VCR, what is that? Oh, what he's, that still, is? he's still trying to figure out what Blockbuster is. <laughs> you know, he's still, VCR, vaya con Ricardo. I don't know. What is that? <laughs> are those initials? Or are those initials? <laughs> download a picture, Gusano. Download a picture. <laughs> So the scenes in America, I mean, like uh, where you guys are like uh, working out on, in the bench, that's actual prison or is that a set? No, dude, that is actual prison. Yeah. All the prison scenes were like, it was like right there, you know? And it was interesting because I remember on the first day of shooting, we Did are you guys drastic. Security or at all? Or uh, just no, not, not really. Not really. There, there, there's no security. Now, the guys who were allowed to walk around had already been screened. They were, quote unquote, like low level. They were like okay. trustees and stuff like that. But guys, I mean, come on. Yeah. I don't care who you are. Stuff can happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stuff can happen. So I remember we were shooting. And uh, remember, we're dressed just like them. 
and we look just like them. Oh, I forgot to mention. So before before we start on our before our first day of shooting, Eddie almost says, "All right, so uh, we have all these all these binders, you know, because these are based on true stories, and all these characters they were real, you know, they 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 were real." And he, we saw pictures of all these guys, and and I saw pictures, a lot of pictures of the character Cheetah that I represented, and this dude had tattoos everywhere. So I was like, you know, he says you're going to have your choice of of developing your character, including the kind of artwork, body artwork that these men had. I haven't started to kill each other yet. They're still throwing shit. And most of them. You know, especially in the prison, they walk around, you know, without shirts, just like you, Worm. Hell you know, yeah. And like, oh. I don't do it as often, though, because. Uh. <laughs> you just need to work on your strut, dude, but I can yeah, help you with you that. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so they are, <laughs> they are. Uh, Worm, actually, speaking know, of artwork, Worm does have some artwork that he likes to show. It's uh-oh. a bear. Worm, do you want to show the bear? <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, wait. Okay. Okay. But on what part of the anatomy is this bear? Uh, dude, I'm going to have to pull down my pants, turn around. <laughs> Sometimes it hides in its cave. So, uh, <laughs> so you might not see it, actually. It so. might be in hibernation. <laughs> it might be in hibernation right now. It's winter. Put the indio down, Worm. Put the uh, indio no, down. No. I can't. You guys are the artwork. What kind of artwork did you choose for yourself or represent uh, anything? I had a so so most of us or some of us are like without shirts the whole time anyway, because that's just the way how how these guys and and it was shot during the the dead of summer, so it's like really hot anyway. Mm -hmm. I had uh, tattoos on my chest, on my arms, on my neck. what they didn't tell you was the more tattoos you have, the earlier you have to be at makeup call every morning. Mm. And so my call was like between five and six because I had so many pinche tattoos. And I was like, <laughs> like, oh, my God. But you know what's really cool? And a lot of people don't know this. Uh, the artist, uh, Danny, uh, who was a tattoo artist uh, for, uh, for, for the film, uh, this guy is an amazing tattoo artist. You guys should look him up on, on Instagram uh, or on social media. He is amazing. Uh, he created a special kind of ink for, for, uh, for, for the movie. And when the tattoo is, is drawn on you and the ink is applied, it looks just like a real tattoo. Uh, and with sweat, it doesn't come off. When you're showering, it doesn't come off. It lasts a really long time. Uh, and so this guy had an image when his shirt was off, you could see he had the entire uh, Last Supper, like all across here, like all across there, the Last Supper. And it was like in detail. I was like, I was like, dude. Like a real dude, tattoo? Or a- uh, may- yeah, no, it was a real tattoo. That one was a real tattoo. Uh, and so I remember there was a lot of people on set trying to get trying to get them to do like their artwork. Oh, I know, Danny Romo, Danny Romo. Yeah. Uh, so if listeners are interested in that, they can just look him up. But Danny Romo is a he's a he's a fabulous, fabulous uh, tattoo artist. His work is like he's just, he's just amazing. And he's also just a really amazing human being. Just all together, as my father used to say, 
de aquea, <laughs> bien de aquea, you know, uh, look it up, okay? So anyway. <laughs> well, I'm looking right now at Danny Romo, his, his Instagram. Guest. Dude, for real, his artwork is amazing. It um, is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah. we're going to throw out your name too. So. <laughs> yeah, dude. So, you know, it, it's the first day of filming, right? We got the tattoos on and everything. We look just like everybody else. So in this scene, this is the first day. And we're with the real, uh, the, the other real, you know, um, inmates. And so in that first scene, there is a, a fight that breaks out, you know, uh, between us, the actors and the characters. So when that happens, when the fight breaks out, what happened was they didn't tell the guys in the gun tower. Someone failed to tell the guys in the gun tower what we would be doing. So from their perspective, it looked like a bunch of crazy inmates were getting it down and having like this, 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 this riot or something, right? So all we hear is <laughs> and we stop and we freeze and they call cut, right? And so uh, after that, every time we were rehearsing, we had to wear these bright fluorescent orange vests. And then we didn't remove the vests until we actually were were filming. And then, you know, somebody had the smarts to brief them and say, nobody shut up, they're just acting. <laughs> just, <laughs> they're just pretending, it's a pretend, it's I a pretend stabbing. <laughs> exactly, work with me on this. Uh, they did that on purpose. They wanted the real shooting, the real t the real tear gas. They wanted exactly. everything you know, legit. That's for effect. Yeah. Shoot the brown people, the brown ones. Shoot <laughs> the brown right. people. <laughs> <laughs> That when that movie came out, like, um, what what did you experience? Like, did it go? Did it did it hit big as soon as it came out, or was it like a later hit? Uh, at the premiere, there was a lot of talk about like how much of an impact this movie was going to have, not only on the Latino community, but just you know the the, the film going experience as well. It got it got just about all kinds of positive reviews and all of the major papers, the trade magazines in LA. Uh, what I think what we didn't really realize at the time was just how much of an impact this film was going to have like years later. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember going to the Pulga, you know, the, the, the swap meet flea market, both in, in LA and even here. Uh, I know one just thinks it's whatever he makes out of himself. <laughs> <laughs> just follow through worm just follow right, through yeah i'm just going <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he's like i don't know where you know you have like these these young young kids a whole new generation that are like you know watching the movie listening to the story you know uh so it's like it's just kind of wild it just blows my imagination in terms of how much of an impact this continues to have my one concern though was like i remember in la when the movie first came out and a lot of the young kids you know were really infatuated with with this movie and my concern was well wait a minute are they infatuated because because you know they think it's cool because that's not the message we wanted to create you know did we did we blow it big time or whatever and i remember we were, we were talking at a, uh, at a middle school one day and one kid says, uh, it's, it's really cool to see people like us on the big screen. Uh, he goes, and it's not that we think gangs are cool. 
we think it's cool that there's people up there telling our story. And then I felt kind of like a relief sort of, I was like, okay, okay. Then, then, you know, in, in one way or another, I, I think we've made an impact and we've been, you know, uh, I think we did good in terms of telling the story. Unfortunately, during the telling of this story, there were a lot of people that were, um, that were hurt with this story. Uh, we, uh, we had several people who were working as consultants uh, to give us like firsthand information in terms of, you know, how does this work? Remember, this is based on true life events and it's based on, you know, the prison gangs at that time. And these individuals were cautioned and warned and threatened um, by this organization and they were told in no uncertain terms, you know, don't do that, stop doing that. And these people were like, uh, you know, and they were, they were awesome. These people were awesome. They were just really, really cool people, really cool human beings, you know, and they believed in this story. They, they understood why we were telling it. And that's why they chose to share personal information. Um, two of these people are no longer with us. They were literally gunned down um, uh, for sharing this information. I remember I was at a red light. I was stopped. I was on La Brea Boulevard in Los Angeles. And that was the movie had already been out for a while. And I was heading towards an audition. The movie was already out. And th there were some there were some talk and threats of people being threatened and harmed who were involved with the movie, uh, especially by anti-gang uh, gang rivals uh, who were really upset that we had told that story and that we had shared some information in the story. And I'm at this red light and I'm waiting for the light to change and I'm just focused on my audition and getting there, blah, blah, blah. And this car comes up and it's right next to me. And I hear, I don't look at the car or the driver, but I hear him gunning you know, the, the pedal. Um, and I kind of look to the side and I see this guy, you know, it's kind of like a lowrider. Uh, he's got his hair slicked back. He's got like a little hairnet thing on and everything. And he, he doesn't say anything, but he looks at me and he does like one of these, you get, you get like, a, uh, I know you guys can't see this for those of you who are listening, but it's kind of like, a, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a stare, a pause and a slight, slight a slight like upward nod without breaking the gaze without breaking the line you know uh and for those of you <laughs> for those of you you know who are who know the street and know the south side or the west side you know you know what that means you you know what that means you, you don't need words you know and so then i thought to myself okay i i, I knew that 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 i already knew what was going down with the movie we had already lost a couple of people and uh, this guy looks at me and then he finally says, hey, you were an American me, weren't you? And I'm thinking to myself, I could run the red light, but I'm not sure my car would outrun his. <laughs> <laughs> or just say the truth. I chose to just say the truth. And he stares at me for what felt like the longest time. And finally he yells out, um, dude, 
that movie was kick ass the light turns green and he takes off and i'm there still just kind of like hiding my sweat i was like (laughs) man that's crazy because even then like you describing that moment of like like that slow like you know when, when it's friendly and it's so weird like you know people of uh you know at least for what i think rasa like you know like that head now like that that exactly. upward quick one is like, oh, we're cool. That quick That's one. That's right. That no. slow one is exactly. like, oh. And it's I think something's going to go down, yeah. It's all <laughs> in the timing. It's all in the timing. And you're right. I'm like, okay, uh, there, there's some crap that's going to go down here. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, just you're describing you that. Dance. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I never even knew that. Like, I didn't know, like, you know, people got hurt. Um, honestly, I don't think I, I, maybe I probably heard somewhere that it was based on true, uh, stories, but I guess by the time I saw it, you know, obviously in 1992, I was not old enough to watch the movie. So I saw it later on, but I didn't know that. I just thought it was like a a story being told, uh, you know, just a a work of fiction that was relatable and maybe not in the sense of like, I didn't grow up as hardcore like that. But I did have yeah. friends that grew up hardcore like that, or uh, sto- I heard stories of friends that, you know, had different situations. So it was relatable because I saw it around. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. But to me, it was like a fantasy. It w- and also, my dad is a, was a police officer, so I've heard stories from the jail and from the prisons right. and all that, and the warnings. So, you know, again, relatable. Uh, so, but I didn't ever knew like people got hurt from it and yeah. I knew there was some controversy, but I never dug into like why the controversy was there. And I always thought like, yeah, like movies like that and movies like blood in blood out, which were super cool stories. Yeah. I always wanted like, it glamorized to me the gang, you know, like, or that culture not, not only, like, it glamorized a lot of, or it showed a lot of our, like, the quinceanera, the wedding uh, uh, that was uh, showcased uh, in your in American Me. Like, that's true stuff. Like, we, we have those fiestas all the time, you know? Exactly. So, or, you know, the things that we dealt with, like, in Blood and in, in Blood, in Blood Out, the, the three guys that just want to be cool, and they start a little gang that blows up into, like, this big old thing. I... I think all of that was like, you know, things that happen in our culture that's being told. But then, like you said, it was very, it had to be very cautionary in how you say, hey, it's not about glamorizing. It's, that's right. it's a, you know, a, a cautionary tell about what is going on and how we should move. And it's our story. How do we progress? Exactly. Exactly. And it's about learning, learning from the experience and learning from history and things of that sort. And I think that's that's one thing that I really try to impress upon our young people, our our, our younger generation of storytellers in terms of in terms of that particular story, you know, while at the same time trying to empower and motivate them to tell their own stories, because we have a whole new generation of storytellers that are coming into play now, which is really, really cool. It's cool to see that, you know, uh, uh, when when you have young kids, whether it's in elementary or middle school, 
you know, and I, I love working with these kids because they have not yet been tainted by all of these societal norms, by all of the things that society says or shuns you know, us to talk about and things of that sort. You know, kids in elementary, the kids uh, in middle school, you know, they, they write from the heart. And I think sometimes as adults, we forget that. And I think sometimes we're too, too concerned with what are people going to think? Are they going to like this story? Is this story going to sell? Am I going to make money with that? Instead of just like, hey, write what moves you. And these younger kids, they, that's how they approach their writing process. They write what they know. And I thought, how, you know, how smart is that? Absolutely. Uh, for example, you know, we were studying a lot of these kids you know, are really interested in different kinds of stories. And uh, dude, I love Shakespeare. And these kids shun away from it. They're like, oh, I don't know. That's the dude that speaks funny, right? He talks really <laughs> funny. I'm like, yeah, he does. But hey, you know, so uh, I introduce them to Shakespeare and I'll tell them uh, what they really like because I introduce them how to insult other people using Shakespearean lexicon. <laughs> they love that part of the lesson. So uh, hang around, worm. I'm going to show you too. Right, show me, man. <laughs> I want a lesson. <laughs> people want a lesson. We, we want this. You lesson. know, all right, 2H2Fers, I think this is where we're going to pause the conversation for part one. Remember, part two is on Thursday. So stick around for part two. We're going too hard, too fast with Vic Trevino. Hey, hashtag Hispanics in Hollywood. We should make it a thing. Right. Or Latinos in La La Land. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> See how what I come up with? Right. Hey, we're going to continue the conversation. Uh, Vic Trevino's story, uh, what we're kind of seeing in Hollywood or even in any industry right now for people of color and the progression. Um, if you're not of color, hang out with us anyways. We, we would love to have you. Cool. Change, we're not trying to change minds. We're only broadening perspectives. And with that That's said, Worm, what are you going to say? Nosotros somos locos. <laughs> but with that said, another podcast down the drain. We'll see you guys for part two. Bye. <laughs> see you guys. Funny story. And if, if you think it's funny, I'll put it on the podcast. But um, I met Edward James Olmos uh, at a Comic-Con. Did not expect him to talk to me. I thought it was going to be a quick picture. Thanks. You know, keep going. But it's a picture, and he starts talking to me, asking me where I'm from, you know, getting, getting to know me in a sense. And I'm just, like, shaking. I was like, dude, I look up to you because, like, you know, you're one of the people that I, you're a hero almost, yeah. you know? Right. And so, like, talking to him, and I'm like, my voice is breaking and all that, asking me questions. And the only thing I could say was, I know Victor Vigno. <laughs> That's all I could say. He's asking me where I'm from, what I do, all this stuff. And I'm so nervous, I go, I know Vic Trevino. <laughs> and so this was, like, very uh, fresh from my wedding. Like, I had just gotten married, and so I still had the uh, the photo on Facebook. I still have it on Facebook, but it's, like, freshly posted uh, of us. You took a picture with me at my wedding, and we're in suits and all looking good and whatever. And I go, see? <laughs> and he goes, 
oh man, and he had great things to say about you. Like, you know, he really, was like, oh, he's a great guy. Um, but oh my god, me in my head, I'm just like, what is wrong with you? Why, why is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and I can just imagine this whole story. And by the way, Jorge, you're fully redeemed now for bringing my name up in front of him. You're fully redeemed. Okay. I think <laughs> I now appreciate you as a student. Okay. But so like, I can, I can, I can see, I can see, you know, uh, Eddie's expression as you're, as you're explaining this. I can see like, like the subtle low back expression, which is, uh, which really is just like so much in terms of who he is. Like, for example, I remember one day we were shooting, uh, we were leaving the prison. We were on the van on the way back to the hotel uh, in, um, in Sacramento. And me and, me and Little Puppet were always joking around. We were always joking around. I mean, we were never, we were never serious, you know? And so uh, I remember at one point, at one point we were joking around in the van and we're tired. We're, we'd been filming for 16 hours and we're tired, you know? Uh, uh, and at, at some point, uh, Little Puppet, tried to like, you know, make, we was like, we were always like making fun of each other. And he says, yeah, oh yeah, man, you're cool. You're cool. And just out of nowhere, I said, uh, I said, no, he said, I'm cool. I'm cool. And just out of nowhere, I said, yeah, yeah, you're so cool. I'm going to call you coolo, you know? <laughs> and so then, and Eddie's in the front seat, he's in the passenger seat. And without even smiling or laughing, he turns around. I like it. Use it tomorrow. <laughs> and it was like, and, and we used it in the movie. Chale, I'm cool, man. I'm cool. I don't need to be cool. Sabes que I'm married now. Orale. You're cool. You're so cool, I'm going to call you culo. <laughs> and that just came out of nowhere. So, like, every time I hear that, 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 line in the movie it takes me back to the day when me and danny were just like messing around in the van and just like uh you're so cool i'm gonna call you culo you know and i think that would make a great shirt right that would be that would be a good shirt or now yeah, we're gonna steal that <laughs> uh, but i just remember him like even after all that he goes it's okay mijo you can calm down i'm <laughs> I'm just another guy. Yes. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Or just but, like this. Or just yeah, like this. Oh, my God. A photo. There's a photo of me with with them. And I, I was like, my eyes are closed like this. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't even take a good photo. I was like, dang it. The only time I get to meet him and I mess up. <laughs>